This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Amy Trask, and you are listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Tip. Yes, it's the red, white, and blue edition of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are, as you should know by now, Hall of Fame voters getting ready for the 4th of July with our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And Ian, we have a surprise for you today because I know you're a diehard New England Patriots fan, right? Of course, of course. Of course, I've watched a few games in my lifetime. That's what I understand. Well, in keeping with the red, white, and blue... We were trying to get former Patriots kicker Adam Vinatieri, of course, former Colts kicker, but they're not red, white, and blue. Former Patriots kicker Adam Vinatieri on this podcast now that he's retired. But apparently he's not doing interviews, at least not now. So we got the next best thing. We got his special teams coordinator in New England when Adam won two Super Bowls with last-minute field goals. I'm talking, of course, about Brad Seeley, a former special teams coach of the year. The NFL, one of the most accomplished special teams coordinators anywhere. Brad coached the Patriots special teams from 1999 through 2008, was there when Adam Vinatieri made that 45-yard field goal in a blizzard versus Oakland in the 2001 playoffs, sometimes called the Tuck game. He was also there when he beat the Rams with a last-second 48-yarder in Super Bowl 36. And, yeah, he was there two years later when he beat Carolina in Super Bowl 38 with a 41-yard field goal with four seconds left. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. And first things first here, Patriots coach Bill Belichick, whom you worked for, calls Adam Vinatieri's kick versus the Raiders in those 2001 playoffs the greatest kick in NFL history. Now, I know, as I've mentioned, you're one of the game's premier special teams coordinators, and I'm talking about ever, and you've coached a lot of superb kickers. Would you second that nomination? I I really would, just because of, obviously, the conditions, but what the game meant, especially at that time in, uh, really, in Patriots history, you know, because, you know, they'd been to one Super Bowl and lost, and, uh, you know, it it was like, this was was our moment, you know, and and that game didn't really, wasn't really going the way we wanted it to, you know, we were behind at halftime, and... uh, we we struggled a lot, for, and and deservedly so, because the Raiders at that time they were good. They really had a good football team, and so yeah, under those conditions and what it meant for uh, Patriots fans and and our team, uh, yeah, that was that that was a huge moment. Well, I wasn't at the game. I was in Chicago. I'd been at the uh, Bears Eagles playoff game earlier that day, and. We're watching it on TV, and, and a little side story here. We're watching it right next to the table. We were in a Marriott out by the airport, right next to a table where the referees, the officiating crew from the NFC game the day, that uh, afternoon in, in Soldier Field was seated eating dinner. And when Brady fumbled incomplete, what you want to call it, when the ball came loose from Tom Brady, I went, oh, no, that's it. The game's over. And without... Uh, uh, without any argument, with any provocation, whatever, 
two of the officials from that table heard me say it and they said, no, it's an incomplete pass. And I went, what? And they said, it's an incomplete pass. I said, that's a fumble. They said, no, his arm was moving forward. I had no idea. I think it actually was, um, I think it was Walt Anderson's crew that did that game. But um, yeah. and, and I'm talking about the game in Chicago. Um, but, um, but they said, no, incomplete. So when it came out that it was incomplete, we weren't completely surprised. Although I think everyone, including Ian Glendon, our producer, <laughs> was flabbergasted. But then when you line up for the field goal, I think all of us said there is no way in God's green earth he can make this. And so I, I want to ask you if you could take us to the sideline discussion before that kick between you and Adam and, and tell us honestly what you told him or what he told you and, and what you thought his chances were of making it. <laughs> well, you know, that's a great question because you know, we, we usually we didn't have a lot of conversations on the sideline because Adam was tuned into the games and he'd know when it was fourth down if, you know, could we talk before the game what, you know, his distances were and how far he could kick a field goal in whatever conditions we were playing in. And uh, so, you know, there wasn't always a lot much conversation specifically between us, but we would, you know, we'd yell field goal alert and he'd know it's time to get ready. But in that game, I do remember, you know, we had the ball, and uh, I walked back there to him, and I said, Adam, you know, uh, if we get, re you know, wherever we get to, we're probably going to have to kick this ball. And, he goes, and I still remember he said to me, well, you think we can get it closer? <laughs> I said, well, that's kind of out of our hands here. So whatever it is, you know, it's Bill Belichick's favorite thing. Whatever it is, it is. So whatever it is, you're going to have to go kick it, you know. And uh, obviously, at the time, we thought, oh, this is pretty far, <laughs> especially yeah. with the field the way it was, you know. the And the, the wind wasn't terrible, um, but it was it was swirling, you know, in that in that old stadium was, you know, it was one of the worst places to kick in. In all of football, you could put it and Cleveland and Buffalo in a jar and shake them up, and you'd say, which one would you want to be in, you know? And, candlestick, uh, too, I think, right? Candlestick? Candlestick was very similar, except the weather was better. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so we we didn't have the cold. But, you know, it, it really would, came down to the field. The field was so bad because the snow had just accumulated and frozen, and there was ruts and tracks and it was a mess, you know. So I would, I would honestly say, you know, because I knew Adam, Adam was Adam. So it was like, okay, we got a shot here, but it, there was nobody that was feeling real confident when he jogged out there. And I would probably say uh, Adam probably was the most confident guy because that's that was Adam. Adam's a confident person. That's what made him what he was. And so I think everybody else was. Hold their breath. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad you didn't have Mark Henderson on the sidelines from the 1982 snowplow game. He could have cleared us. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we could have used that brush. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Brad, I, I got a career question for you, Mr. Seely. Um, explain this to me. You start your career in 1980, Colorado State. Throughout the 80s, Brad, you're an offensive line coach. Offensive line, offensive line. Wherever you go, you're offensive line. All of a sudden, here come the Indianapolis Colts, 1989. 
Brad Seeley, coaching tight ends and special teams. What the heck happened, Brad? Uh, were, you, were you hoping for an O-line job in the NFL and you, you took what you could get at that time? You know, you're, that's really perceptive on your part because as a college coach, I coached uh, – back then they'd always have, for whatever reason, the offensive line coach coached the punt team because we teach the protection part of it. But that was really the only – and field goal protection. That was the only facets of, of the kicking game that I would coach in college. But I wanted to be a pro coach. You know, I wanted to coach where the best of the best was. And I was going to get to coach the tight ends. And I thought, well, I'll do this, and then hopefully I'll get my foot in the door and I can be an offensive line coach. And as my – And how you get, my, you get uh, stuck with career, special teams, coach? Well, you know, that was the thing is once I got into it, it was like, this is fantastic. I can affect the game as much or more than being the offensive line coach. Because, you know, especially in the NFL, those games swing on two or three plays, and a lot of times it's in the kicking game, you know, and and the field position factor. So it was uh, about five years in, I was actually uh, working for Pete Carroll, and it was – I had an opportunity to either be an offensive coach or coach in the kicking game. And I said, well, shoot, I don't think I'm going to stay with the kicking game because it's one guy, it's my decisions, and if it's screwed up, it's my fault. I don't have to wait on seven other guys to make a decision. And so that's how I got to that point. Brad, we uh, we talk a lot about the Hall of Fame on this show. Um I know how you feel about Vinatieri, Brad. Uh, the Hall of Fame has not been kind to special teamers. They have not. Um, Brad, what do you think about guys like Devin Hester, going to be on the ballot next year, Steve Tasker trying to crack through and get a gold jacket? Um, why don't we give enough respect to some of these special teamers, Brad? You know, that is, that's a total conundrum to me because those guys – especially you talk about Steve Tasker, this guy, he affected the game in so many ways. You know, he was one of those guys that he was just like a Bruce Smith or Jim Kelly in his area of expertise. This guy was a game changer, you know, Uh, Devin Hester. We're, we're playing Devin Hester in the pro bowl and we pop kicked the kickoff because we don't, you know, and he's yelling at me on the sideline. What are you doing? I go, I'm not stupid. We're not kicking you the ball. Okay. <laughs> so those kind of guys can change the games and they change the games. And it's amazing to me. They don't get enough credit for what they did. We're speaking to former special teams coordinator, Brad Seeley on the I test for two. And Brad, it's funny you mentioned that. I covered the Chargers a long time back, and one of my longtime friends is Hank Bauer, who you probably know of, special teams. Absolutely. He had 53 stops, three tackles in 1981, and he and I both agreed that record will never be broken. And yet, ask anyone today who Hank Bauer is, go, huh, who? You mean baseball player? Um, but that's one of the records that be broken for numbers of reasons. But um, Hank Bauer was a guy who also another special teams Yes. You know, if, when I tell people about uh, Steve Tasker now, you know, a lot of guys go, who? 
you know, yeah. and it's just sad that they don't know who he is and what he did and how he really changed the game of special teams, how we started looking at it as, hey, we got to get three or four difference makers in the kicking game just like they have on offense, just like they have on defense that can change the games for you. Yeah, and unfortunately, as Ira knows, there is a sort of a segment of that group, I'm talking about the Hall of Fame voters, that doesn't warm up or at least has trouble warming up to specialists. We've got three. We've got three in there in uh, over 50 years, and, and that's Jan Stenrode. And then Ray Guy, who was on the 75th anniversary team, it took him um, over two decades to get in. And, and then we just got Morton Anderson, the all-time leading scorer before Adam Vinatieri broke his record. But it was like pulling teeth out, right, to get, get these guys. I'm talking about um, the last two, Anderson and Ray Guy. I mean, Guy got in as a senior. No question. We yeah. should have had Brad Seeley sitting in that room as, as, as the presenter and, and things might have changed. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, Brad, going back to Vinatieri, who will get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, in your mind, what defined him and made him different from other kickers you coached? You know, I think there was a couple things. Number one, you know, he was an athlete first, and then he was a kicker. And I know the thing that ingratiated him to his teammates at New England was he never, ever separated himself from the other players. I mean, he was in, he'd go lift weights with the offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys, he was, a, he was just a teammate. He wasn't, you know, the old, uh, just a kicker guy, you know? And so he was one of them and he was a competitor, such a competitor. You know, the guy was uh, a wrestler in high school. He was, he was very athletic and he was a guy that he didn't want to be separate from those people, you know? And then I think the, the other thing that separated him was his confidence, you know, his, his confidence level was off the charts. You know, the, uh, the, the one that sums up to me, the story I can tell you if, if uh, I can is uh, when we were playing in the Super Bowl, the first one against the Rams. And we're driving down the field there. Obviously, the game's tied, and it's going to come down to a kick. You know, and so I walk over to Adam to just say, hey, just get ready. You know, and what is he doing? He's got one of our equipment guys, and he's explaining to him that he wants that ball after he kicks it through and wins the Super Bowl so he can put it in his trophy case. And that – to me, sums up Adam. You know, it was like, okay, you all, you other guys can all be nervous. Here's what's going to happen, and here's what I'm going to do, and this is how it's going to work out. You know, and, and he, it's like, that's that's Adam. And he got that ball. He did. He yeah, did. He, did. he got the. He got uh, Johnny. Johnny Rotten was a was our equipment guy's nickname. He ran down there, caught the ball, and brought it to Adam. Yeah, Brad, let me ask you this. Just given that and everything you said about Adam Vinatieri, are you surprised, disappointed, puzzled, whatever, that New England didn't franchise him after the 2005 season and let him walk? And are you surprised that he did walk? Well, you know, I think what happened was I think the organization was surprised that he walked. I think they felt that he'd had, you know, obviously he'd been a Patriot his whole career. And 
he was going to continue to be a Patriot. And I think uh, one of the things about the Patriots at times is we were always looking for the hometown discount. Right. You know, hey, stay here. We're going to win the games, you know, and uh, it'll be worthwhile for you to be successful. And maybe you'll take a little bit less money. And, you know, I think that works for some guys and some guys it doesn't. And I think uh, one of the one of the big things for Adam too was, you know, here's a guy to me that he had two careers. He had his New England Patriot career, and then he had his Indianapolis Colts career. You know, and I think one of the real uh, things he saw when he he looked at uh, Indianapolis was he got to play indoors. You know, and not really so much for the games, but he used to tell me that practice is what took it out of him you know we'd go out there on that field way back when we were practicing at the Rentham State School you know uh, and uh, <clears throat> it was just so hard every day you had to get warmed up get loosened up and, and then participate in cold weather you know and that that takes a lot out of your body and so I think that was another other reason that he felt like you know, this could be my opportunity to play someplace where I don't have to practice in this stuff. You know, so I just think uh, there was a couple of mitigating circumstances, and that's it. why it ended up the way it ended up, and it worked out really for both teams. Uh, we lost, obviously, a great kicker, but we replaced him with a good kicker, and uh, Indianapolis got, a, as you said, a Hall of Fame kicker. Brad, uh, the first team I ever covered, Brad, was the 1979 Giants. Ray Perkins had just come in as the head coach, and uh, they had this young special teams coach named Belichick, Brad. And um, and then you end up hooking up with Belichick. So, Brad, during those New England years, uh, how hands-on was Bill with special teams? He never got out of his system, Brad, and um, – what was his philosophy about special teams? You know, he was fantastic to work for in the sense what he felt special teams, the importance of it was. So you would always have good players. He was always the end of your roster. Those guys had to be good in the kicking game, you know, or else they weren't going to be on our roster. And so you always had good players and and the great thing about Bill Belichick to me as an NFL coach is he knew all three areas of football. He knew offense, he knew defense, and he knew the kicking game. And he understood every game we went into what our game plan was in all three areas. You know, and so uh, he, he was fantastic for a special teams coach because he, uh, you know, the emphasis was always there. So – uh, we had good players, and he wanted good specialists, and he wanted he wanted the kicking game to be a difference in a positive way for our team. So uh, it was all good. It was really all good. Brad, I, I want to bring you back to, uh, you know, so, some of your golden days at, at Oklahoma State, Brad. Uh, you coached O-line. You had a heck of a team, especially uh, in 88. And um, a little running back uh, by the name of Sanders, and I'm not talking about Deion Sanders, Brad. <laughs> um, what do you remember uh, 
what an opportunity to be uh, coaching guys that paved the way for a Barry Sanders. And he didn't need much of a block, Brad. Uh, what, what was it like watching Sanders on, on a weekly basis in, in, uh, in 87 and 88? You know, he was fantastic. And where he had come from was, uh, uh, you know, it's a story in itself in the sense that uh, he wasn't highly recruited because he was very undersized. Uh, his dad wanted him to go to the University of Tulsa because at the time we had Thurman Thomas at Oklahoma State. So his dad didn't think he was going to get a chance to play there. You know, and then uh, uh, when Barry came to school, he was a guy that, uh, you know, we were having our first spring practice and being the offensive line coach, we're running our running game. And Barry never goes where he's supposed to. You know, we're running a toss to the right, and all of a sudden he's on the left side of the field, and it's like, what is he doing? You know, and and because uh, Thurman Thomas, whatever you told Thurman to do, man, he was going to read his keys, and that's where he was going. And with Barry, it was recess. You know, it was, and then it was like, well, hold on, gosh, he just gained eleven. Oh gosh, he just gained twenty-five. Oh my gosh, nobody can tackle this guy. And we used to play uh, as the offensive line coach, you know, it was great because it looked like I was doing a hell of a job. And, uh, so, so we would play, we'd play these old, uh, they used to call it wide tackle six defenses, which were really eight man boxes. And we'd run weak side runs where they'd have an extra tackler. And we used to just call that side adjust. We'd say, Barry, you got that guy. And, <laughs> We wouldn't block them. Barry would just run around them. You know, it was like, okay, that kid from Kansas, he can't tackle Barry Sanders. So we don't need to block that guy. So it was, it was in 1988, man, that was the most fun I think I ever had in coaching watching this guy. Cause it didn't matter who we played. He was outstanding. He, he was uh, I was, I've been fortunate enough to be on a lot of good teams with a lot of good running backs. Uh, Eric Dickerson, Frank Gore, uh, all these guys, you know, that are, there's guys in the Hall of Fame and guys that will be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I'm going to say Barry Sanders is with the ball in his hand. There was nobody better. You know, uh, Brad in the 89 draft, Brad, uh, out of the first five picks, four guys are in Canton. Four, including Barry, uh, the one guy that isn't Brad is, is Tony Mandarich. The pack, <laughs> the Packers took him number two ahead of Barry. Um, Brad, can you imagine if the Packers would have took Sanders uh, in '89, and then you know Favre comes along years later? I mean, the whole history of the NFL could have been different. You're exactly right. It really would have. But you know, I then maybe uh, who knows this, but. Maybe both of those guys' lights wouldn't be quite as bright because the other guy did so much, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. But you're, you're right. I mean, the guy was – he was a fantastic player. We were playing him uh, when I was at the New York Jets with Pete Carroll, and we went in there at halftime, and Pete comes up and he goes, how about that? Barry's only got – I think he had seven or eight yards rushing. I said, Pete, hang on, hang on. There's still another half. And he proceeded to get about 170 in the second half. Because <laughs> it, was, it was like we were back. 
playing in college. We couldn't tackle him. We just couldn't <laughs> tackle him. I mean, so tremendous player and a tremendous human being. He is a tremendous human being. You know what, Brad? It's, it's funny. I was at that 94 playoff game with Green Bay and Detroit where Fritz Shermer juggled his defense. And he moved Reggie White all over the field. And they held him to, I think it was minus one yard. It was the lowest production of his career, but minus one yard uh, in that game. It was cold. It was a very cold game, but they shut him down. And I couldn't imagine that happening because I saw games just like the one you were talking about, where you can shut him down for a half. And then he's, you know, Gail Sayers slash Barry Sanders in the second half. He's running all over the place. But um, that was an extraordinary achievement by Green Bay uh, to, to defend him that way. Yes, Absolutely. Um, a um, couple last things for me. One is, um, I know you, you we were talking about Bill Belichick, and I know you've seen his quote on Vinatieri as the greatest kicker of all time. And and he probably was. I think Ira and I agree. Yeah, he, he probably was and probably definitely is now. Um, but unlike other positions that we evaluate in that room, I'm talking about the Hall of Fame, he may have trouble being a first ballot choice. Even though he's the all-time leading scorer, he's longevity 24 years of kicking uh excelled at his position unlike any other but he may have trouble being a first ballot choice if you were in front of those voters could you make that case for him and if you could what would you tell us you know i I would think the the things that i would try to go on is i think you gotta sometimes you know stats are great and i know you gotta look at those as voters in the in the hall but number one i would go by longevity, you know, how long he played, you know, I would also remark about where he played, you know, his first 10 years in the league, uh, like we talked about, terrible place to kick. Okay. And then I would talk about the magnitude of his kicks, you know, which I think separates him from all the other kickers. Cause even in the game, uh, the other Super Bowl we won with Adam uh, against Philadelphia, he kicked a field goal late in that game to put us up ahead. You know, now it wasn't the deciding kick, but, you know, every every one of those Super Bowl wins was a three-point game, you know, and it was because of Adam. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you can say that about any other kicker, how how much of a uh, impact he had on those big games. You know, and we would never have been there in that snow game if he hadn't kicked the one and – Obviously, then later in the game, and I know it was shorter, but he still had to kick on that same field to win the game. Yeah. You know, so that's where I would put him is because of longevity, where he kicked, and the kicks that he made. And I I think that's what separates him from – and you're right. I've kicked guys that uh, were tremendous kickers, and and maybe those guys, Phil Dawson, you know, those kind of guys, could have done those things in those moments. But they never had those opportunities, and Adam did, and he came through. You know, which that's what you're looking for out of your kicker. Come through for us, man, when we need you. And the last question is about um, your position in the game. That's special teams coaches. You know, I thought after John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl in 2012, that would open the door for more special teams coaches being interviewed and then being hired as head coaches. But it really didn't. I mean, I know that Joe Judge got a job with the Giants, but it really didn't. I don't understand it, and I'm wondering if you do. 
You know, I, I think it goes back to the same point you made about when you're in that Hall of Fame voting. People look at that third phase as, as not as important, you know. And, and what's amazing to me is the guys that really know football, because what special teams coaches do, they do two things. They manage time and they manage people. And that's what head coaches do. And all these clock situations at the end of games where the head coach has got to be on it, yep. that's what special teams coaches do. So I don't think, unless you're getting, you know, that guru offensive play caller that's going to continue to do that when he gets to be a head coach, I don't think you can get a guy that's as well prepared for that job as a special teams coach because he's the guy that has dealt with almost every player on that team daily, you know, and no other coach, offensive coordinator, defense coordinator can say that, you know, so that's to me why I I just wish people would take the time to see, okay, here's what the job requirements are. Who's the best to fill those job requirements. And if they did that, they turn to the, some of those guys that are in the kicking game, those special teams coordinators, more often. And that, that to me is the sad, sad thing because it's always about uh, who's the name guy. You know, are we yeah, going to win right. the press conference? You know, right. can we win the press conference because we hired this guy? Well, if you hire the guy that's the special teams coach, you probably aren't going to. Yeah, that's you, may, right. you know, that's right. you may be fortunate enough to get a guy like a Bill Belichick. And I understand he was a great defensive coordinator, but he started as a kicking game coach. And I think that's what gave him his base in football. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Brad, one more for me. Brad, uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Brad, you get to San Francisco 2011. They got a rookie quarterback named Kaepernick. He didn't play much as a rookie. But then, Brad, you and Jim Harbaugh had, had some sensational years together. Uh, and Kaepernick was a big part of that. You watched his development, Brad, looking back at the whole Kaepernick uh, affair. Uh, are, are, you, are you very disappointed about the way things turned out for him? What was he like as a teammate, Brad? And, and, and what do you think about um, Kaepernick's uh, arc as, as, as a professional player? You know, uh, I, as I look back on uh, for uh, Cap, I just have a lot of sadness for him because he missed out on uh, a lot of his career, you know, because he was a great player and he was a great person. He was he was one of those first guys in the building, last guy to leave. Every morning I'd go in there to work out early in the weight room and he's in there working out before anybody's around. You know, he's just, he was just a worker and he was, he was all about the team. So, uh, you know, I just feel bad for him and, and I'm also very proud of him because I think he, uh, you know, he was ahead of his time and I, I, and obviously the NFL and maybe the world wasn't ready for that. But I think, uh, looking back on it now, I think he's proven himself to be, uh, you know, really, a a guy that had a lot of foresight about some of the problems we have in our country. At his, at his peak, how good a player was he, uh, Brad? You know, he was, he was really tremendous. Uh, you know, I, I know if you, uh, 
talk to any Green Bay Packer fans, man, he was a thorn in their side. That's right. You know, because he, he would have some of his best games against those guys and the most meaningful moments in those playoff games, you know. Uh, that year that he ran for all those yards, you know, they they just couldn't handle him, you know. And uh, you don't you don't see guys even, you know, Lamar Jackson's probably the closest to it, a guy that had those kind of wheels and also had his size. You know, and and he could throw the ball, and he was uh, he was really a good teammate. He was one of those guys that he didn't he wasn't really a talker, but when he talked, everybody on our team listened because they knew he had something to say. Brad Sealy, we've kept you a long time, but thanks so much for the time and the memories, and we will see you. Know, you. Go ahead. I I really appreciate it because it's fun to talk about football and. Uh, I guess that's what old coaches do. They just tell old stories. <laughs> that, that's what old sports writers do, too, Brad. We tell old stories. Uh, we'll see you at Adam Vinatieri's Hall of Fame induction, whenever that is. Uh, but, but thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, fellas. You got it, thanks, Brad. Brad. That was former special teams coordinator Brad Seeley. And Ira, pretty poignant comments about uh, Colin Kaepernick. Good question. No question. Thanks. Uh, thanks, my man, Clark. Uh, you know, who better to talk about Adam Vinatieri than Brad Seeley? Really, that was was good. That was terrific. Wait a minute. That's the crowd over there, Clark. I hear the crowd forming. Are they cheering for Brad Seeley? Are they cheering for Colin Kaepernick? No, they're cheering for I was there. And Ira, I don't know when I was there. It was sometime in the season of 1989. That's all I know. It was in the fall of 1989. It was in San Diego. It was Dan Henning's first year. And unlike the previous coaches that I covered there. And I was a beat reporter for the uh, San Diego Evening Tribune at that time, now the Union Tribune. I was a beat reporter. But unlike the previous coaches that we had covered, and I've been there since 84, he closed practices. Dan came in and said, closing practice, you guys aren't in. We said, no. That was, no, Brad, that was Brad Seeley's first year in the NFL, Mr. Judge. Let's yeah. get that straight. There you yeah, go. well, okay, there you go. That's why you are the sage of Tampa. Um, <laughs> but um, so we couldn't get it. We couldn't understand. We said, no, you can't do that. He goes, what do you mean? I can't do that. I'm you're not in breath. However, he didn't realize it was outside the practice facility. It was off the west end of Jack Murphy State parking lot where they practice. You walk across the parking lot and there was the field. Off of the west end, behind a chain link fence, which was covered with tarps, so you couldn't see, in, couldn't see anything. There was a dirt hill immediately outside, immediately outside. Dirt hill rose above the field. So we went there and watched practice. And then he said, you can't do that. We contacted people who would know, and they said, well, no, you can't. That's city-owned property. They can't tell you what to do. And we said, fine. So we started watching practice from up there. Nothing. Henning kept practices closed. We decided we were going to squeeze them a little bit more. Because this is a 4th of July and cookout weekend, I bring this up because we said, how are we going to get his attention? We brought a grill to the top of the hill and started cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. True story. While they you were, were you were the fool on the hill, Mr. Judge. That's what you were. <laughs> I was the fool on the hill following T.J. Simers, who was then with the union, later became the L.A. Times uh, uh, sports writer for um, Los Angeles football teams. But T.J. was covering the charges for the uh, union. I was covering for the Emmy Tribune. And the two of us sort of decided this might be a good idea. I think. T.J., you think so? Of course. He said, yeah, go for it. If you knew anything about T.J. Simers, that's the way he did it. And so we started cooking burgers. I'll never forget. We went into to the locker room afterwards. Billy Ray Smith came over. He goes, were those cheeseburgers you guys were cooking? God almighty, were those good? 
I couldn't concentrate on practice. I got so hungry. <laughs> Henning said, you got to stop doing that. We said, no, you've got to stop closing practice. I don't think so. At which point, Simer says, okay, fine. Let's see what happens when we bring the stripper in. That did it. That did it. That was it. He goes, okay, practice is over. The fools on the hill are off of there. You come into practice. That was the end of it. True story, Ira. You can't win an argument against a, 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 a savvy sports writer. You can't do it. Absolutely. Okay, Ira, final thoughts. Final thoughts, my friend. Well, I'll, all right, I'll tell you final thoughts. Uh, we, on this award-winning podcast that is growing in, in popularity, Every week, taking off like a rocket, Clark. We're going dark. We're going dark for a little while. Just oh, for are. a little while. Why is that, Ira? Uh, we got to take a little vacation. I'm, I'm going to California, Clark. I'm not going, I'm going anywhere. To... I'm not I'm going the... anywhere, Ira. You're going on I'm... vacation? Yeah, because I want to find that hill. I want to see if you, you got to... <laughs> I want to see if there's any cheeseburgers left around. <laughs> So there'll be another fool on the hill. I think they leveled that hill. The practice facility is no longer there. In fact, Jack Murphy Stadium is no longer there. Anyway, um, yeah, I, if you get out to San Diego, take, take a trip down there and you might see where it happened. Uh, but Ira, I will, and Ian, I'll bring this to your attention. I think this is the second vacation for Ira, Ian, in the last two months. Is that right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, second, but you know who's it, counting? Who's it counting? Yeah. It's a working vacation. I'm going to be playing a little pickleball. I'm going to be working playing vacation. a little pickleball. Clark. Okay. Well, anyway, that's going to do it. Uh, Ira, tell people where they can find you. Uh, if you're in California, you can tell them where they can find you, or where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, Clark. Okay, I know Ian's not going anywhere. He got his vacation in New England. He's back in St. Petersburg. Ian, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at IGLEN31 on Twitter. And, of course, wallowing as I watch this uh, Stanley Cup final between two teams that I absolutely loathe. Go Habs, go. <laughs> go Habs, go. Oh, and by the way, you can find me on Twitter at, at Clark Judge. TOF. Anyway, as I said, that's going to do it. Have a happy and safe fourth, and thanks for listening. See you next week.